Good evening and welcome to uh, the Cutting Edge and Happy New Year. Um, man, it's been, uh, last year was great. Uh, looking forward to another great year uh, of podcasting. Uh, a lot of change happened this year. My broadcast partner, uh, Mark Wingfield, stepped aside uh, back in March. So the last half of the year, um, I've been at it solo with a few guests. And so um, just thankful to uh, have this platform to speak truth uh, in, a, in a world that uh, truth is just increasingly rare. Uh, we have so many things taught nowadays is, is very important. And, um, and I feel a, a call and a mandate uh, to provide content on, in, on, on the internet to, uh, to speak the truth of God's word. So let me go ahead and uh, introduce uh, the show as I normally do. And let me say, first of all, Happy New Year. This is the first of the year, first podcast of the year. Um, so welcome to the Cutting Edge podcast. Uh, we're streaming live tonight, uh, as always, on Facebook. And if you missed the show, we're on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can listen to past content as well as this show will be uh, online probably uh, before the night is over after after we get finished. Uh, please like and share if you're watching on Facebook uh, so that more people can uh, join the audience. Uh, we hope and pray that the audience grows in 2024. So again, this is the Cutting Edge Podcast. Hebrews 4.12 declares that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, bone and marrow, down to the thoughts and intents of the heart. This show is aimed at viewing our culture and viewing events in culture through the lens of Scripture, through a biblical worldview. Not only do we view things in culture, but we also talk about things within the church. And uh, unfortunately, the culture and the church uh, are seemingly merging. If you've been watching a lot of things going on in the in the world right now, uh, culture and church really aren't that far apart, um, which is not scriptural for us. But I, diver I, di I digress. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen declares that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything is, is, is dependent upon the word of God. Um, everything that we say, if, if it's a prophecy, if it's a dream, whatever it is, it must be checked by the scripture. And that's how we judge whether it is from God or whether it is from the flesh, or you just had bad pizza one night, uh, we have to check the word. That's what we have. We have the word. So I'm committed, as I have been since I took over this podcast, to have discussions and to invite guests to discuss, discuss cultural topics and events, to discuss biblical topics and events. We must, as pastors and leaders, we must make ourselves available for all discussion topics, lest we leave our people prey to the ideologies and the indoctrination of the world. We don't want to do that. 
We want people to have the right information. So we as pastors and leaders and teachers, we must give them the right information. So that is, again, another goal uh, of the uh, and the mission of this show called Cutting Edge. And uh, with that being said, as I said, I'm committed to have discussions and invite guests. Uh, I tonight am pl- privileged to have uh, my friend, my brother, uh, Pastor Matthew Colvin of Afton Chapel, also one of the purveyors of the prayer room uh, ministry in Waynesboro. And tonight we're just gonna uh, we're gonna talk. He's gonna share uh, a revelation that God has shown him, and we're just gonna we're just gonna discuss it like we do. Uh, we talked on the phone today for probably about an hour and a half. So today we're gonna we're just gonna kick it back and forward, and, and we pray that you guys will be blessed and challenged by the discussion. So uh, uh, without further ado, here's my brother, Pastor Matthew Colvin, and I'll, him, I'll let him introduce himself. Hey guys, um, trying to get my video here right. How you guys doing? Thank you, Terrence. It's an honor to be here. It's a privilege. I'm humbled even by the opportunity to, to talk to you guys, to talk to your audience, Terrence, and I appreciate you. Yes, we just we wanted to talk earlier for about 20 minutes and it turned into an hour and a half, um, you know, busyness, life, holidays, new year, things get ahead of everything else and it's hard to meet up always. So I'm glad we got to talk and I hope we do it more in the future. Um, like, like he said, I'm Matthew Colvin, I pastor Afton Chapel. I help lead the prayer room, which is a ministry um, on Arch Avenue in Waynesboro. Um, there we teach prayer. We teach people how to um, recognize, to come into the presence of God we also do Bible studies out of there, and then we also have a homeless ministry out of there. Um, but while I'm on the show today, as I had talked to Terrence a while back, God had something burning on my heart. Jeremiah said the word of God is like fire shut up in his bones. What that means is it's like, have you ever gotten a word and it's inside of you? God gives it to you, and you, just, you know you have to share it. It's burning inside of you. Well, this is one of those such words, and like any word that I believe we are to deliver to people, it must first impact me personally. It must first impact me, my family, my, my life, before I can give it to others. It must first be assimilated, digested in my own life. And this word that God gave me about a uh, month and a half or two months ago, I was spending time with God one day, um, like I do every day. And I was just giving God my attention. I was just loving on him. I was just being with him tell him how much i love him i was worshiping him praising him i had the word open that's a good thing to have an open heart a closed mouth and an open bible that's how i come to the prayer closet every day but in this time of prayer god whispered something to me and and first he whispered return back return back i'm like what are you you know i'm here praying i'm worshiping you god return back return back and then as i as i pressed into that as i prayed into that i got more you know revelation terrence is like a box of tissues like a box of kleenex you only see one kleenex but when you pull on that kleenex that tissue what happens more comes and more comes and more comes paul said we see in a glass darkly we prophesy in part we don't see the whole picture that's why we need the body that's why we need the hands and feet and arms and mouths and ears we need the whole body to come together to have that complete picture. Neither one of us are the body of Christ by ourselves. It, I might be an arm, you might be a mouth, but we need each other to form that body of Christ, to give the world a proper representation of, of who Christ is. 
He is the head. He is the brain. He is the mind. He is the operating center of the body of Christ. Everything flows from him. But let me get into this. So God's saying, return back, return back. And as I'm just lingering and I pull on that revelation, like I said, like the tissue, you pull on that and you get more. So I said, God, what are you saying? I'm hungry. What are you trying to say to me? Return back to what? He said, return back to your first love. And not only that, but call my people, particularly the shepherds, the leaders, those in leadership, call them to come back, to return back to their first love. And I'm thinking, God, I love you. I, I give you my attention. I love you. I worship you. I prioritize your presence. We have a prayer room. We're teaching people how to get in your presence, how to worship you. Um, I think I've returned to my first love, I hope. God, what are you saying? He said, it's a strict warning and urgency. Return back to your first love. And he took me to Revelation chapter 2. And God will often take Revelation from his spirit. And how many know that the Holy Spirit's favorite chariot to ride on is the word of God? The Holy Spirit most often talks through the scriptures, through the text. He comes to the text that he inspired. He, he makes it alive in our hearts and he speaks to us through the text. That's the more sure word of prophecy. That's the infallible, the inerrant. I can give you a wrong interpretation. I can give you a wrong application. But the word, the revelation is, is sure. It's steadfast. So I want to read that, Terrence, um, out of Revelation 2. Though God took me. Um, he took right. me some other, but I'll read this. I'll say the revelation that he gave me, and then I'll turn it over to you to, to get some feedback. He also took me after this to Jeremiah, which we haven't discussed, and that ties into this text. But Revelation chapter 2, we'll do 1 through one through 5 for now. And um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, no matter what you have, New King James, whatever, it all lines up, says the same thing. But here's what John said in Revelation 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Here it is, guys. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations say you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Okay, here we go. So that's what the word is about return to me. Come back, repent, you know, all these things. Come back to your first love, do that. So I want to just notice here in the text in Revelation 2, you don't have to turn there, Sam, but Revelation 2, in verse 2, he says, I know your works. So these guys were busy. The church of Ephesus was busy. He, God said, I know your works. Great. You're feeding people. You're evangelizing. You're doing things. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Here's the first mark of this church. And I would say, yay, yes and amen. You do not bear with those who are evil. They wasn't putting up with evil in the camp. They wasn't putting up with evil in the church or in the choir or in their members. They came against sin. They preached holiness and they did not put up with any evil. So that's the first strength. 
They did not put up with evil. These were holy people. Um, they rejected sin, and they and they wanted righteousness. They wanted to be holy. That's number one. Um, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles. That's never a good sign. When you call yourself an apostle, that's already a red flag. If you have to go print your name card and print it out and say Apostle Matt, there's a problem there already. But anyway, these people that call themselves apostles and were not. So they tested doctrine. Here we go. They tested people that claimed to be prophets or apostles or came with some doctrine or teachings. They tested that. So first we have holiness. They didn't put up with sin in the camp. They were holy people. Yes and amen. Two, they, they went against false teachers, um, those that call themselves apostles and are not. Yes and amen. Praise God. We want to do that. Okay, third, verse three. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. Now, if you know the history of Ephesus, you know at this time frame in the church with Paul and all the things going on, you can even read the book of Acts, some of the Galatian heresy, the Judaizers, some of the persecution was coming in even into Ephesus, and they were being persecuted mightily for rejecting um, Judaism, which is works-based righteousness, you know, uh, all the stuff you have to do, and they were accepting this grace, come to God by grace through faith alone, in this Christ that they said resurrected and all this stuff. So it was causing persecution. So there's the three marks of a mighty church in Ephesus. And maybe many of you watching that have churches, um, they live holy. They don't put up a sin. Two, these people were going against false doctrine. They wanted to have clean, um, pure, clean doctrine. The holiness pure doctrine, and then they endured persecution. For us, that may be Facebook complaints. For us, that may not be um, being beheaded or having our family murdered like other countries. But for us, persecution is how people talk about us, how people speak against us, how people unfollow us on Facebook, God forbid, right? But that is persecution. These people, the church of Ephesus, were living holy lives. They were going against sin. They had good doctrine. They had, um, they put up with persecution much worse than us. They put up with people getting beaten and in prison for the gospel's sake. They put up with all that. Great. You would say A plus, good church, praise God. Yes and amen, right? But Jesus says this. Jesus says this. But I have this against you. It's one thing. You've got all these things good, but I have this one thing against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, that's what God's saying to them, and that's what God's saying to us right now. That's what God's saying to me a couple months ago. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen from, repent. That means go back, do what you were doing, and do the first works. And he said, if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, obviously, we're talking about first love here. They had the three. They had the purity in life. They had purity in doctrine. And they had a pure way of approaching persecution. They were in prison for the faith. They were beating for the faith. They, they had lost loved ones for the faith. They lost jobs or finances for the faith. I'm throwing that in there, but just assume that persecution, they bore under it. But the one thing they lacked was first love. And he told them to remember. Remember how it was when you first met Jesus. Remember how you could barely say his name without crying tears. Remember when you thought about the cross and how it brought you to Oh my goodness, Jesus came and he died for me. Wow. And now you hear these things such as the blood and the cross and redemption. And you go, yeah, of course. You know, you shrug your shoulder nonchalantly. 
We've lost reverence in the church. We've lost the fear of God in the church. We've lost that first love of God in the church. And if that's the case for you, he said, unless you return back to that place of first love, that place where he's prioritized, I've got um, prioritization. Love is prioritization. You prioritize him. Um, love is desire to please. You want to please him. You want to please the one you love. I don't have to discipline myself not to cheat on Misty, my wife. I love her. Therefore, I don't want to. I don't want to displease her. I want to honor her, and I want to prioritize her in the same way with God. We prioritize His presence, His Word, His people. We have a desire to please Him. We spend time with Him. I don't know anybody I love that I don't want to spend time with. If you love someone, you want to spend time with them. Don't tell me you love God and you'd rather spend time with the Netflix than with Jesus. Don't tell me you love God if you don't want to get away for an hour with him every day or whenever you can and spend time with him and to his word. That's love. Um, he has your attention, your thoughts. When I first met Misty, and even now, I... I don't go a day or a few hours without thinking about her. I wonder what she's doing. I wonder how she is. I wonder what's going on. You know, it's that it's that mental attentiveness. When you love someone, you're thinking about their well-being. You're thinking about how they're doing. You can't wait to see them again. That's love. And that's that first love that you had when you first met your spouse and you couldn't get off the phone at 3 a.m. and like, I got to go. I got to go to work. Like, we can't stop talking about each other. We don't want to. We have no more friends. Everything goes out the window. It's just that person, that single-mindedness, that that wholehearted love. That's what God's after. And He's saying, if you don't, if you don't come back to this, if you don't repent and return back to that first love, which He helped you do, by the way, we'll talk about that. That He's going to remove your lampstand. Now, in Revelation chapter one, at the end there, in verse twenty, He does say that seven stars are the angels are the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So in that instance, he's saying this lampstands are the churches. But we get some more clarity when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't light your lamp and put it under a basket or put it under a bed or under a bushel. Don't hide your light. Put it on a stand. So the light is your ministry. It's it's the it's the word you have to give. It's your it's your gifting. It's your singing voice. It's your talent. It's your ability to preach or teach. It's your prophetic voice. It's your evangelism. That's your fire. And he says, don't hide it under a bushel. Don't stay in the room. Put it on a stand, which would represent your influence. For some of you, that may be your pulpits. For others, a microphone or a podcast. It may be your ministry outside of the church. It may be Sunday school teacher. Whatever that is, he want, he's going to remove that influence in this hour, right now, 2024, with an urgency, he called me to this, to let you know this, that he's removing lampstands, not out of, not out of hate. He loves you, but out of a desire to call you away. Come, my beloved, come to me. I want to be with you. He'll restore that lampstand if he does remove it. God is a God that's patient and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But why have to get to that? Why have to go under his discipline or have your candlestick or your ministry or your church removed from you? Why not repent at this word from God right now? Um, as I have, I repent of this. God, show me where my affections are off balance. Show me where my time could be spent more with you. Show me how I can prioritize your presence. God, show me how I can lead your people into an abiding experience of you every day 
in your presence and in your word, God. Teach me. So this is what the word, and I'll pass it over to Terrence, but that's the word in a nutshell, that you can have a clean life, clean doctrine, um, put up with persecution, yay. And from outward appearances, when people see you and you smile, hey, I'm blessed, praise God, they think everything's okay. But God sees past all that, past your veneer, past your plastic smile, past the facade. He sees to the heart, and he sees what you do when no one else is looking. He sees the desire in your heart. Do you love him? Do you long for him? Do you do you pant for him like David, like a deer that pants for water? So my soul longs for you, God. Or have you lost that? Have you got caught up in the ministry and in performance and in audiences and numbers and shows and online and all those things and have left your first love for you've you've left Christ for what he's given you. You've cheated on God with stuff he gave you. You've committed adultery on God with his giftings, with the ministry he's given you, with the influence he's given you. You've went and took the gift and said, see you, God, and left the giver and, and took the gift. I've been guilty of this. We've all been guilty of this at times, but people, yeah. children, me, us, people of God, <clears throat> repent. We must return and do the first works we did before, which is that prayer that you did, that Bible reading that you were so excited to do, um, getting involved with small groups and studies, and, and mainly, first of all, seeking God, worshiping God. There you go, Terrence. That's that's the word. And not there's more, but that's for now. Well, I mean, uh, listening to you talk, it, it sounds like uh, uh, sounds like what we need to guard ourselves from is ritual, uh, just doing things where we stu- where we where we begin to go through the motions, uh, as you said, as as he said in the in Revelation talking about doing those first first works over again. He wasn't not commending them for for being pure in their yeah. doctrine or being pure uh, uh, standing against persecution. And uh, if we're not careful, we can we can get caught up. Uh, we can get caught up in the appearance of Christianity without actually having the relationship uh, that's yeah. backing it. And so that, that's the thing that we have to guard ourselves from. So this, you know, return to your remember where you fall and repent and do do the first works over so uh he's continually calling us back as one of my favorite songs um matt redman wrote uh, i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you uh i'm sorry lord for the thing i for the thing i made it so another you know we can get in the church and we can start to make church start to make those things something that they weren't originally intended to be we can even start to uh, have a have a greater relationship with church than we do with Jesus, and um, I'm it's sad to say that that's that's what it's become for a lot of people is that they have a great relationship with church. They have a church identity rather than a, a kingdom identity. Realizing that God has called each of us uh, as kings and priests, He's called each of us as ministers uh, un, unto Him, uh, rather than just uh, sitting under a, a human person, sitting under, sitting uh, in a congregation. Those things, of course, we don't want to forsake the assembling ourselves together. So I'm not at all saying that. I'm saying that individually, we've got to have a relationship with God. We've got to have our own identity with God so that when persecution comes, when when these things arise, 
we are we are we are standing on a rock. We're not standing on something that's shifting uh, sand. And 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 the way the guard the guard for that is to have our to find our identity in Christ. Uh, the whole book. Uh, I mean, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. So, you know, one of my favorite books, uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, especially chapter one, uh, three through 14. It talks about who we are in Christ, what we've what we've received in Christ. And if we would just practice, just read the word, just read the word. Uh, from those from that chapter and uh, other places, second, first uh, Timothy chapter two, it's lots of places that in all of Paul's letters that talk about what our identity is now that we're born again. Who are we? And and that's the thing, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt, um, we have to go on a discovery uh, when when you're born again. Obviously, that means things are new. Uh, so who you were, you know. But who you've become, you don't know. You have to go on. You have to discover who that is. And sometimes ritual gets us away from discovery, gets us away from seeking, from asking, from knocking uh, to, to ask the Lord, you know, who am I? You know, what have you done? What have you what have you done in me? Um, we're, we're always in a process of learning, of discovering who we already are. Because, you know, G what Jesus did in us is a finished work, but we have to work out that salvation. And I'm not talking about work out your salvation as far as whether you're accepted by God. But in other words, working, working out means I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a hunt. I'm on a discovery to find out who this new person in Christ is. What has he done in me? What is it that he's gifted me with? Um all those things are yet to be discovered because Jesus had a purpose for us before the foundations of the world that we don't have. We don't have knowledge of. And obviously, because of the fall, you know, a lot of that's changed. But now that we're born again, now that we're born again, we have to we have to seek him. We have to, as you were saying, we have to have a constant relationship with him as he begins to reveal, as he begins to uncover the things that he has for us, the things that he has for us individually, the things that he has for us as a people, the things that he has for us as churches are only discovered in his presence. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Spending time with him, worshiping him, praying, listening, all of those things. God just begins to drop nuggets into our spirit. He begins to, to uh, obviously he uses the word of God. Uh, so I'm not discounting that as well. It's not all uh, it's not all experience, but it is the word and the spirit that brings us into that fullness of us discovering not only who he is, because we're on a search to discover who he is. But in the search of discovering who he is, we get to find out who we are in Christ. Amen. Yes. Who we are is rooted in who he is. Yes. In order to find out who we are, we must we must go back to the Creator to see who He is. And if we don't know Him, we can never know who we are. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the seven sons of Sceva that they tried to cast out a demon in the in the name of Jesus, who Paul preached. God forbid that yeah. people would go around praising or singing to Jesus, who Matt preaches or who Terence preaches about. I feel like we have made people dependent upon the shepherd rather than the great shepherd, the good shepherd, 
Jesus Christ. We are we are nothing but pointers to point to Him. Um, you know, we're no we're nobody special. God has called us, obviously, but we are no different than you. Um, all can prophesy, all can and can speak and have something to say. God can use any of us, and all of us have access to His presence. That's the key. Everything's found in his presence. I get my sermons in his presence. I get that word I got about revelation in his presence. I get inspired in his presence. God makes me gentle and meek and patient and kind in his presence. Everything flows from him. The new, the old covenant was a covenant of striving. The new covenant is a covenant of rest. Um, the, the lack of experience of God was our fallen state. Um, what Adam lost was that experiential um, communion with God. In the fall, his spirit died. And in that, he lost connection with God. And he became his own God. He became the decider of good and evil. So he lost that perspective. He had eyes that could not see. He had ears that could not hear. He had, he had no faculties to know God. So not experiencing God as your fallen state, but as a new creation. You are destined. You are designed to worship to know God, to experience God, to hear God, to feel God, to sense God, to love God, um, to to have emotions about God. We were saying it earlier, um, Terrence, how long would I be married if I went this year? You know what, 2024, um, I'm not going to show my wife any emotion, none. I objectively will love her. I objectively will go to work. I will objectively help her around the house. But no emotion for my wife, none. How long would that last? We'd be in marriage counseling in six months. Why? Because love, when you love someone, it necessarily um, invokes emotion. I know people that get more excited over coffee than they do Jesus. I know people that get more excited over a new a football game than Jesus. I know people that get more out of Netflix than the Word of God. It needs to change. That's not a rebuke, although it is. It's a tender rebuke to say, come back. Jesus would say to you now, come away, my beloved, come to me. Matthew 11, come to me. All you that are weary, weighed down, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The new covenant is one of rest. It's one where he's the vine and we're a branch and we connect to him daily. Not one time, not when you were 12 and got saved and said some magic prayer that people told you would you know, repeat after me. No, you connect to him daily. That come to me in a Matthew 11 was a daily come to me. Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, you're never thirst again. He didn't say you wouldn't drink again. No, you have to drink every day. What salvation does is it installs inside of you a well, a fountain of life. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But it's yeah. on us. The is on us to learn how to make withdrawals and how to drink of that river, how to eat of that bread, how to partake of God. He's made himself experientially knowable. His presence is not no longer a thing of times and seasons, like in the old covenant. God would come upon someone for a task and he would lift. And David would pray things like, oh God, take not your spirit from me. Well, in the new covenant, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm sending the spirit and he'll be in you forever. Even through all of it, I believe the Holy Spirit will abide in us for all of eternity. He'll never leave us. Therefore, the presence of God experienced by you and I is not a thing of times and seasons. We can choose to come into the presence of God anytime we want and experience him. He has made himself inside of us. He's put his, his 
body, his spirit. We are the temple of God. We, we, God is inside of us. He indwells us. Therefore, we can experience him anytime we want. That's the key. But real quick, I want to go, uh, before I give some people some pointers on getting with God, and I think we're going to be on next week talking about some stuff, I want to go to Jeremiah 2 to link this together with the Revelation 2, um, both out of chapter 2, Revelation 2, Jeremiah 2. And I'm going to go to verse 1 real quick. And then I want to jump to verse 13. Once again, Jeremiah chapter 2. Very important. Verse 1 is going to give us the context of what Jeremiah was talking about. Here it is. Jeremiah 2 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah talking, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them. Mainly verse 1. Uh, in verse 2, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride. There it is. First love. That's the context of this. I remember your love as a youth. When we first met, you were on fire for me. You loved me. You wanted to worship me all the time and praise me. In fact, you had to slow down from praising me because you had to go to work. You had stuff to have to do. You were so lovesick with me that you just wanted to be with me. Like the bride, like that newly newlywed bride, that honeymoon phase. So that's the context of of. of Second Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2. In verse 13, he says something amazing. That if we understand the depths of it, even all the way into the new covenant, we're going to see something right here. Jeremiah 2, 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay, so listen to this. He says, my people have committed two evils. Okay, they have forsaken me. That's leaving the first love. And that's not even the worst part. And then not only that, not only did they leave the first love, but they've hewed out their own cisterns, their own um, ideologies, their own philosophies, their own um, religious institutions even, you could say. These cisterns that can't hold water will come into the pastor. And, I, and I'm a pastor myself, and you're a pastor, Terry. They're coming to us, though, to get water that only he can give. They're coming to cisterns that are broken, to a system that's broken, to get the water. When all the while Jesus is saying, come to me, John 7, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And I'll give you that drink. I'll give you that water. John 4, he told the woman at the issue of blood, um, excuse me, the woman at the well. He said, if you asked me, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. So we have this theme of water. Very important. God connected this to me. This theme of water in the new covenant and the old. We have Jesus promising to give us living water and we'll never thirst again. We have him saying, come to me all that are thirsty, and I'll give you this living water. And then he defines that living water as the Spirit of God that will come into us. And, and because of that coming into us, he will flow out of us like rivers. Okay, keep that in mind and turn your Bible to Psalm 63. Very important. Psalm 63. Think water. Keep your mind on that living water. Psalm 63. And then we'll get in how to access the presence of God, which is just recognition. You're not trying to strive to get something. You're already in the presence right now. Everyone here that's listening, you're in God's presence right now. 
The issue is you're so aware of your prisons, you're so aware of your finances, you're so aware of your pains and your issues that you don't you can't be aware of him. Your attention's on yourself, your attention's on everything around you but him. The key to returning to first love is is the first thing is the attentiveness, the affection goes back to him. But Psalm 63, check this out. Remember the water, um, the, the Jeremiah water, where you hewn out broken cisterns. You left the fountain of living water. The John 4, where I'll give you water. Um, John 7, I'll come to me all that thirst. I'll give you living water out of your belly. Um, David says this in Psalm 63. Oh, God, this is the heart of a lover. David was a God after man. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. This is the picture of first love. You ready? Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the key right there. Okay. So he's saying my soul. Oh God, I earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. So we have seeking. We have thirst. We have a desire. We have a, a recognition of lack. I'm thirsty. That means I'm in need of something. And I recognize you as the supply God. I recognize I have need of this. I have a thirst. And I recognize that you are the fountain. I recognize that you have, you are the living water. And he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my body faints for you. And he says this, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Okay, now this is something God gave to me near the same time as this other revelation, but it, it came through meditation. Um, I want you to think about this real quick. When you, I go to, when I want to get some new cologne, I go to TJ Maxx because they got the good colognes for cheaper. And a lot of times I'll go through the tops and I'll, and I'll look at the colognes and I'll smell the top. All I did was sample the top. I want to smell it. That does something for me. It gives me the sense of the smell. That's what Bible reading is. You're reading. You're reading verse after verse after verse. You're smelling the top. You're getting the essence of the verse. You're smelling the fragrance. You're getting that. But what you really need to do is take that bottle, spray it on you. And now that cologne goes from just me smelling the top real quick to now spraying it on me. And that cologne begins to seep into me and not only affects me, but all those around me. The reading the Bible is gathering, gathering food or spraying or, or, or smelling the cologne, so to speak. But meditation, lingering with God in his presence, in his word, is spraying the cologne, is staying with a verse or two for hours, letting that verse wash over you, letting that, letting that verse linger with you, letting it get on you, letting it get in you, letting it transform you. Anyways, that's a side note. I was doing that with this verse. And when it says, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I, I felt the Lord say to me this, this world has no water. And water means satisfaction. Water means something that's going to sustain you. The, uh, water that's not going to make you thirst again and again and again. Water that's going to give you satisfaction. There is no water. This earth is dry. There is no water. There's no water. There's no satisfaction to be found in sex or relationships or money or drugs or entertainment. That's a, that's a quick fix. That's a, a taste of water, but it's not satisfying. But Jesus comes as the ultimate and says, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And not only that, but he'll install the well on the inside of you. And now you can drink anytime you want to. Um, before I get into to what I wanted to say about um, 
how we approach God every day. I know we don't have a lot of time left. Terrence, you want to interject anything before I? Uh, just just listening to what you're saying about those uh, uh, cisterns, you know, cisterns, uh, they, they, they forsook the, uh, the fountain of living waters and they made for themselves cisterns. Uh, basically, they created a system that appeared uh, to, to be life giving, that appeared to have uh, uh, an ability to refresh when in actuality uh, it wasn't. And, and, and again, you know, both you and I have been, I've been a pastor. I'm, I'm leading worship now, uh, do a lot of this online. You're pastoring a church. Uh, we don't want to bring people to us. We don't want to bring people, we don't want to bring people to a, a building. Uh, we want to encourage people to realize that, that you have, if you're born again, you have a well within you. Uh, you have everything you need, as 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 Peter says, for life and godliness. Uh, one of my favorite verses over here, and uh, First Peter says that uh, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. And this is where it says, "You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God." through Jesus Christ. So we have to realize, Pastor Matt, that um, our being born again is not just uh, not just about a ticket to heaven. Yes, that's that we have that to look forward to. I'm not belittling, belittle, belittling that in the least, but we're here in the earth. We're here in the earth to be the kingdom of God in the earth. We are here in the earth our very presence ought to make people the hungry and thirsty by by how we live our lives, by what we possess within us. Out of your out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. So that means yeah. we have the ability to 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 quench the thirsts of others. You know, as Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave, he says, uh, uh, it is better for me to go away so that I'll send you the comforter. So Jesus went to went he ascended and went to heaven. So that what was in him would now inhabit us and give us the ability to do the works that Jesus did, to bring refreshing to others, to bring inspiration to others, to, to awaken them to who they can be through Jesus Christ, uh, their identity, not as a sinner anymore, but as a saint, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. So um, we don't want to create uh systems for people we want to point them to the to the to the fountain of living waters um as as you were talking about earlier you know we're just pointing the way to jesus you know one of my favorite psalms you know where david was talking about i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than dwell in the tents yeah. of the wicked i would rather be a doorkeeper a doorkeeper i'm just showing you the way uh, as a worship leader i always told people I'm just an usher. You know, I'm not yeah. the one you come to see. I'm here to bring you. I'm here to bring to, to bring you to an awareness that you're in his presence. And when that happens, I step aside. I've, I've done my job as a worship leader to awaken you to the fact that you're in God's presence and for you to meet with him directly. As churches, we fail. If we if we just get people to come to the building, we fail. 
We must get people awakened to the fact that they can access God's presence anytime, anytime, any day or night. And the more hungry they get, the more the more uh, the more valuable they are to the body. The more the more mature they become, the more the the more the more usable they are to the kingdom of God. And, and we we can't make people just committed to the building. We have to make people committed to Christ. And that is awakening them again to that, the fact that they have within them a well. They have within them the ability to have living water. And that only comes through seeking him. It ain't going to come through seeking me or seeking you or coming to a building. And, and, and we're finding out that um, people, are, people have found out through the years that have been very, very uh, faithful to church, they found themselves empty. And this is the reason why, because we have not connected ourselves to the fountain of living waters. We have adopted, we've gone to a cistern. And as good as your church may be, it's a cistern that can't do what the presence of God can do for them. Yeah, what we do, I hear people talk about hosting the presence, this host the presence. That's true to an extent. We do host the presence until he shows up and then he becomes the host. He takes over. Um, I don't have a lot of time. I want to go briefly and I want to um, I'm going to give the verse references, but I'm not going to read them. All. I'll, I'll quote them and you guys can write them down. But firstly, Psalm 16, verse eight, David said this. He said, I have set the Lord before me continually. I have set the Lord. Now, a lot of us can set the TV before us. We can set ourselves before Netflix. We can set um, a movie before us. We can set entertainment before us. We can set a game before us. But David said, I have set the Lord before us, which shows us we have the ability. Even David in the new cover, in the old covenant had the ability anytime he wanted to set the Lord before him. Now that has to do with attentiveness. How do we set the Lord before us? We give him all of our attention. We say, I love you, Lord. You're the primary. I give you my focus. I'm not, I'm not giving my attention to Netflix. I'm giving you my attention. I set you before me. I've got my word open. I've got my Bible open. I've got my hands open. I'm here to hear from you. I give you my attention. I set you before me. Uh, next verse, Psalms 46:10. David said again, be still and know that I'm God. Now here we see a link between stillness and knowing. Knowing God is linked somehow or connected to knowledge, to knowing God. Why is this? People say, oh, Matt, it could be um, stop striving. That's good too. That I would call that being still. I would call that resting. But be still or stop striving. Cease um, striving, effort, be still and know that I'm God. Here's why, and I've said this a bunch of other times, but Psalms 139 says if we go to the heights, he's there. If we go to the depths of the earth, he's there. If somehow I could take the wings of the morning and get in the heart of the sea and walk at the bottom, guess what? He's there. That means to everyone that's listening right now, even those that are watching later, you, Terrence, me, Sam, all of us, Right now, we are in the presence of God. And if this is true, if we're all in the presence of God right now, then the issue is awareness. The issue is where are we giving our attention? The, the issue is where are we giving our affection? Um, I can watch a TV show and not even hear Misty talking to me. Why? Because I'm so engrossed and attentive to the TV. I don't hear nothing around me. I'm so captivated by that whatever show, right? We do that with God. We be still. Now, here's a principle in John 3. Uh, I want to make sure I quote this right. John 3, 30. Um, 
John the Baptist was hanging out with his disciples and baptizing some, and they looked over and saw Jesus, and he had way more crowd. And they said, John, Jesus has taken all the people. Like, what are you doing? You're losing your ministry. Jesus has taken all the people. What are you doing? He said, he must increase. I must decrease. Now, this obviously was not at the time a key to prayer, but as we know, God can open up the text and give us principles and I, and, meta, and revelation from the text. And I believe this is what God showed me in this verse. He must increase and I must decrease. Now, we want God to increase. Praise God. Me and Terrence and every other preacher online and all y'all want Christ to increase. But don't you kind of want to increase with him, right? He increases and I increase. I'll lift you up, Jesus, and you lift me up. Let's do a good ministry together. Let's have a growing, thriving ministry. But here's the key. His increase is linked or tethered to your decrease. In order for him to go up, you must come low. This is why be still and know that I'm God in the simple terms. This is a prayer principle. When we come to prayer, we go into our room, Matthew 6, shut the door. And we can be in silence, but not stillness. Silence is the absence of external noise. It's quiet. But how many know after you close your eyes, even though you're quiet, your soul chatter is still going. Your mind and distractions and all this stuff's pulling for your attention, right? So stillness is a is a is something that happens to your soul. God touches the soul and stills the soul. Not just quietness externally, quietness internally. And here's what happens. As we decrease his presence that's already here begins to increase. That's how you know in a church service you go to and you start worshiping and Terrence is singing, the anointing's flowing, and all of a sudden you're, you're feeling the presence of God and you're like, well, praise God. Why is that? Did God increase? No, you decreased. During that time of, of church service, you recognized, oh, this is the time we give God our attention. This is the time for singing. This is the time for um, rejoicing and praise and worship. Close your eyes. Lift your hands. This is the time for that. And your spirit engaged for that time period, maybe 20 minutes, whatever. And you decreased and all your attention was on him. Not on TV shows. Not on what to eat. If you got into the zone and you start to feel his presence, it's because at some point you shifted off of you and onto him and you began to adore him. And the trap is that that's the only place to experience God is in the 35-minute to 45-minute time of worship singing at church. Wrong. If you do what you did at church every day at home, anytime you choose to, you're experiencing His presence every single time. I have never, I repeat, never shut the door, spent time with God. If I gave Him all of my attention, if I came low, if I decreased, Every single time he's met me, he's um, manifested. I've experienced his presence, not always externally. Externally is not promised always, but the internal peace, the internal stillness. Um, like I've said before, you may go in the prayer closet at 12 o'clock, and from 12 o'clock to 12.05, nothing's changed, but everything's different. Why? What changed from 12 o'clock to 12.05? In that five minutes, you were able to decrease, decrease your activity, decrease the distractions. You stopped striving. You gave up and said, okay, God, I give up. I give you my attention. I love you. I worship you. I'm not thinking about what I want to eat. I'm not thinking about the game. I'm not thinking about TV. I'm not thinking about my wife or family. At this time, I'm here for you, exclusively for you. I'm here for you. And at that point, you began to decrease and his the, the awareness of his presence increased and you had an experience with God. Now, out of this experience that you can have every day, 
I assure you, every day, you can experience God right now. You can experience God after this. You get with God, and in this place of peace and stillness, where your heart and mind is removed from you, this is where the revelation flows. This is where you get words of knowledge. Visions can come from this. you cultivating dreams from this place. You're cultivating your sermons from this place. This is where you learn to hear God, which we'll talk about in a future episode. This is where you learn what God sounds like. This is where you learn how to meditate in the Word. This is where you learn what God likes, what He doesn't like, what pleases Him, what honors Him, what doesn't. It's all about your attention, your affection for God. So I urge you right now, body of Christ, and I'm talking to myself, repent. Come back to first love. And it's not what you may think. It's not a striving. It's not a pulling up the bootstraps and, ugh, I've got to try to make time now. No, you make time for what you love. You make time. You prioritize who or what you enjoy, what brings you pleasure, and what you love. Every one of you make time to eat. Why? Because you need it. A, and you enjoy it. You like eating. Many of you eat out. Why? Because you love it. You enjoy eating out with your wife. Do you have to do that? No. But you make the time because you enjoy your wife. So you eat out with her. You enjoy the food. Same situation. If you enjoy God, if you love God, specifically if he's given you a lampstand, he's given you a church, a ministry, a body, a podcast, any influence, which I would say is all of you have some influence on your kids, your wife, your husband, somebody, you have an influence, you have a lampstand. And in that place of prayer, in that place of stillness is where God will actually begin to define for you what that lampstand is. You may be saying right now, what is what is my calling, Matt? What am I supposed to do? What's my influence? Who am I supposed to speak to? Um, well, in that place of stillness with God, where you just affection to him. Lord, I love you. I worship you. You're already here. You said you'd never leave me. You said you'd never forsake me. So no matter what I did last night, you love me and you're here. God, forgive me for what I did last night. Yes, of course. But I worship you. I thank you that you never leave me, that I'm always in your presence. David said you hem me in before and behind. You lay your hand upon me. You said you'd always be with me. Wow. So I know I'm in your presence right now. And by faith, we enter the presence. By faith right now. As I'm talking to you, I believe I'm in the presence of God. Just like by faith, I believe I'm saved. By faith, I believe Jesus came and he died on a cross and he justified me. I don't always feel justified. I don't always feel forgiven. I don't always feel whatever. But I, by faith, believe it as a Christian. In the same way, by faith, place yourself in the presence of God and say, God, you're not a liar. You said you'd never leave me. You'd never forsake me. You said you're everywhere. And you said you're inside of me. My temple is, my body is your temple. So God, I worship you. God, I love you. I choose not to acknowledge how I feel and what I think about the matter. I choose to acknowledge your word, which says you're with me. God, I worship you. God, I love you. I set you before me. That's how, guys. It's no magic formula. Um, just, for, just before you think you got God figured out, he'll change up on you. But it's always the same that he's here. It's not through some striving, through some sweating, through some jumping. Many of you sit for an hour in self-consciousness. You sit for an hour fighting thoughts and fighting what you're going to do and what you want to eat and what you're going to do later when you get this, um, this prayer time checked off your list. I want that checklist to be thrown away. Take your checklist right now. See it? Rip it up 
and throw it away and come into rest, come into the new covenant, come into a union with a vine that provides all the sap and all the life. When I eat natural food, I must swallow the food in order to gain nutrition and energy that burns off that food. Those calories have to be burned off, but I've got to swallow the food. God has made himself experientially knowable, almost edible. His word, he said, I'm bread. He said, I'm water. He wants us to to ingest him, so to speak, over and over again, even though he's already in us. Ingest his word. But we have to swallow. If you just tasted the apple, that apple's not going to give you no energy, nothing except the taste. We have to chew it. We have to digest it. Everything happens in the secret place. That's where he ferments us. That's where he strengthens us. That's where he ripens us. That's where he speaks to us and gives us our callings. There is no other way. There is no other thing. There's, if you want to be like somebody, you have to spend time with that somebody. Look at a marriage that people have been married for 70 years. They look alike. They have the same mannerisms in their eyes and their mouth. Why? Because they've been together so much. It's eerie. It's it's freaky. They look like each other. It's the same with you and God. If you want to look like God, spend time with God. No secrets, no methods. Get alone, shut your door, and just be with him. The only thing I can say is give him your attention. Don't fight the distractions. Let them go. Let them pass by. Don't even entertain them. What you give attention to grows. Don't give the distraction attention. Just keep on turning right back. I love you, Lord. I worship you. I praise you. Oh, I got to go to the grocery store. No, I worship you, Lord. I praise you. Nothing's going to stop me from worshiping you, God. Nothing, no distractions are going to come into this prayer time. And if you do that, you'll begin to create a habit. And then you'll be able to slip into his presence within seconds or minutes. Just boom, anytime at Walmart, at jobs, at home. You'll be able to slip in when you're feeling um, anxiety or stress. You'll be able to say, okay, God, I decrease. You said if I decrease... You increase. Right now, I'm thinking about my bill, and it's making me stressed. Right now, I'm thinking about how my leg hurts, and it's making me aggravated. I I decrease. I get rid of all those thoughts. I worship you. I'm not denying those things, but I'm denying that they're in. I'm, I'm acknowledging that all those things are inferior to him. Everything's inferior to him. My wife, my kids, money, my own body, my own pleasure, my own church, everything. Um, even helping other people. That's inferior to him so we come to him and from that place we receive everything i could talk all night terrence um go ahead brother take it before I take it way over uh, now this is good stuff man because uh again you know what uh you know this thing i've been on with identity for a while is you know you look at the world and you you've you got people identifying men identifying as women women identifying as men uh, children identifying as animals. All these things are a struggle because uh, they have not come, again, they have not come to the fountain of many waters. They have not come to discover who they are because you, you've got to go to God. Um, how are you going to find out who, you, who you've been made without going to the maker? And so uh, you're going you're gonna to wander. Uh, and even as a Christian, I, I shudder to say this, but you know, until we until we seek God for ourselves, not not through a leader, not through a, a, a building, until we really begin to to practice seeking God, uh, we will we won't dis- we won't fully discover who it is that we are uh, through a program, through a through a through a building, through a place. And and I'm not 
down. I'm not downplaying the importance of those things. Not at all. I, I love the church, but I've got to love him more because he's got some specific things for me and, 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 and he'll equip me in such a way to be able to be a blessing in those places. Uh, I've got a hunger and thirst for we've we've got a hunger and thirst to find out who we are. You know, we just can't we can't be comfortable not knowing that that, that is the discovery of all discoveries is to find out who we are, you know, and, and, and we find out who we are by discovering him. And then that bring, brings us to that place of rest. How are you going to rest, Matt, when you're when you're confused? How are you going to rest when you when you don't know who you are? It's like a person with amnesia. They can't rest. Everything, everything they look around them is new because they're confused. Yeah. Only only in God can you discover those things. Only only in God can you come to that place, that place of peace, which comes through rest. And so, you know, like I said, we can, we can talk all night. Um, we're going to do this again in two weeks. We're going to talk about the gifts. We're going to talk about cessationism, uh, uh, talk about uh, all the things that God wants to equip people with to make them uh, more usable in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, it, and again, it's all tied to, to rest. It's all tied to identity. It's all tied to being in his presence. That is the key to all. Of, that is the key that unlocks all the doors. Is 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 prioritizing his presence, and and we all need to repent of that. We all need to do it more. As I listen to you talk, you know, I realize things that I used to do. I remember walking in the yard uh, on a on a Saturday night before service and just singing in my yard, and and just wow. uh, ministering, ministering to the Lord. Uh, that, that's what we're called to do. We're called to minister to the Lord, and and yeah. then He gives, He He fills us, uh, and and equips us, and awakens us, and and waters us, and and just so many things come from that. So we just encourage you guys that have listened tonight, as we come to a close, that you can have access. Jesus came, and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gave you access to the Father through the Son. He is the door to the Father. And so Jesus came and provided that for you, not for you to, to make another man uh, your mediator. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. So you can go through Jesus Christ, through the through the broke through the through the torn veil of his flesh, right into the Holy of Holies, right into the presence of God where you can receive everything you need. But man, this has been great. Uh, please, you guys, uh, you can listen to this later on on Google, Spotify or Apple. Um, but also be with us again on the 24th as Pastor Matt and I uh, break down some more word of God, break down some more keys to, to growing in the presence of God. But it's been a great night. Thank you, Pastor Matt. And uh, we you. will see you guys later on the cutting edge. Have a great night. Uh, bless you.